for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, swimmountcf.co.uk. Or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow and Furness. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk. <laughs> Was it Autumn that shouted, yay? You know, do you know, I want to say this morning, that's, that's why Jesus said that we've got to become like children, okay? Because actually we should be that excited, even though we're adults. We shouldn't let social norms and and people's thoughts of what we're doing stop us from speaking out and shouting out. Um, What do you tend to do when you feel a bit down? How do you make yourself feel happier? Okay? Sorry? Eat. Yeah? Well, when I eat, it makes me feel more down because I shouldn't be eating the chocolate I want to eat. But anyway, well, I found 14 tips for you this morning. 14 tips that only take about 30 seconds each to cheer you up when you're feeling down. That's good, isn't it? If you don't get anything else this morning, here's some tips. Smile more. (laughs) So when you're feeling down, this is out of a women's magazine, okay? When you're feeling down, smile more, but on your own terms. I don't know what that means, but other than the fact that you're not being told to smile by me, just smile more, you know? The other one was, take a walk. You went spring mountaineering yesterday. Yeah? Did it cheer you all up? Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Because it was sunny. If it was raining, I think you'd have been feeling worse, but anyway. Here's one. Here's one. Seriously, I would have done. (laughs) Stand up or sit up straight. So if you're feeling a bit down this miserable, miserable this morning, sit up straight and you'll feel happier instantly. It's amazing. Is any of this working for anybody? No? Okay. I'll carry on. Call your best friend. Donate to a good cause. If you're feeling down this morning, I'll give you my bank details. <laughs> and you can feel free to put as much in there as you want and it'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel better. If you want to, you can give it in the collection or the pavilion. Or Ian Salter's asking for some as well, are you? No? Okay. Right. Okay. Do a good deed. Do a good deed for somebody. Yeah? Anyone feel better when they've done something good for somebody? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Buy concert tickets. Who'd have thought? Then you'd spend a fortune on concert tickets and feel rubbish. But anyway, say thank you. Here's another one. And I think Donna and Pete will love this one. Find a puppy to cuddle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Apparently, Joel in Gloucester works in the NHS uh, trust down there, and they do have a department that take dogs round to the hospital wards for people, people to stroke because it makes them feel better. So there you go. Who would feel better if they had a puppy to cuddle? Okay. Maybe that's one thing we need to start giving out on the door. Okay. Have a puppy to cuddle. Anyway, can you get the idea? When we, you know... Remind yourself it's temporary. Download an app. Take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Do you feel better? Yeah, there we go. Okay, anyway, enough of that nonsense. Okay. But when you feel down, you've got to do something about it. Because if you don't, you know, you've got to find a way out of it. And and last week, we've been doing our series. We started our series on Esther. And we looked at Esther chapter 1, where Xerxes was exerting his power. That's good. Xerxes exerted his power. Should have thought about that one. 
And he's just, in between chapter one and chapter two, there's been about two to three years, and he's probably just lost at least over a million of his young warriors. They've gone to a battle that they thought they were going to win, and he's come back with about 50,000 out of one, one million plus young men. So he's feeling a bit down. He's feeling a bit down, and he wants to cheer himself up, and he thinks of taking Queen Vashti back. If you remember last week in the soap opera that is Esther, he banished Queen Vashti because she said no. And so he's thinking, I'll take Queen Vashti back. That'll make me feel better. That'll make me feel good. And his advisors go, no, don't do that. Why do you think they said that? Because it was them that said that he should vanish her in the first place. So if she comes back, they're going to be gone. So they come up with another idea. They say, let's have a beauty parade. Anyone watch Miss America or Miss Universe, Miss World? Yeah? Here's a little clip from a, a contestant from Miss America in the most recent years. Here we go. If you can hear it over the music. Okay, anyone any the wiser as to why, can Americans in the congregation, can you find America on a world map? Yeah? Okay. Maybe you should enter Miss, Miss America, you might win, Eric. Okay. The difference between the beauty pageant as we're going to see is that this beauty pageant wasn't just about the looks, wasn't just about the intellect, it included a night in the king's bed. That was what it was about. It was a pagan culture, and it included an audition to see those things. So we're going to look at Esther chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read it from the message version. I'm going to read it all the way through, and you get the drift of the story. There's three characters we're going to be really looking at, and that's King Xerxes, Esther, and Mordecai. So Esther chapter 2, hopefully it will be on the screen, and hopefully it will be a bit bigger and bolder today for those who can see, maybe. Okay. Esther chapter 2 says this, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shemai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Lots of names. Keep up. It's confusing. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure 
and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. I've just realized I'm now reading from the NIV because my Bible has changed, so that's fine. You could have pointed it out to me. I'll switch it, okay? I'll switch it. Okay. Haggai liked Esther and took a special interest in her. Right off, he started her beauty treatments, ordered special food, assigned her seven personal maids from the palace, and put her and her maids in the best rooms in the harem. Esther didn't say anything about her family and racial background because Mordecai had told her not to. Every day, Mordecai strolled outside the court of the harem to find out how Esther was and get news of what she was doing. Each girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes after she had completed the 12 months of prescribed beauty treatments. Six months treatment with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with perfumes and various cosmetics. When it was time for the girl to go to the king, she was given whatever she wanted to take with her when she left the harem for the king's quarters. She would go there in the evening, and in the morning she would return to a second harem overseen by Shashkaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She never again went back to the king unless the king took a special liking to her and asked for her by name. I'm going to stop there, and we'll read a little bit more in a minute, okay? So, you get the picture. The king is auditioning women to be his queen. In this passage we've just read, there is a role of honor. There's a role of honor. Now, genealogies in Jewish culture were really important, but to us, they don't mean an awful lot. In Jesus' role of honor, if you like, there was Rahab the prostitute, people you wouldn't be necessarily proud to say you were an inheritance from. But in this role of honor, we see a name of Shimei. He's mentioned in 2 Samuel. Shimei is mentioned at the time of David. And at the time of David, he's following David and his men, throwing rocks at them and cursing them and saying, saying all sorts of things about that David shouldn't be king. And David's men say to David, you should have him killed. You're the king. He's speaking out against you. You should have him killed. Well, if David had done what his advisors have said, there wouldn't have been any Esther and Mordecai. That rhyme would have died. So the Jews would have been aware of this. The Jews at the time, as they read this story, would know that that's the case. And David says, maybe he's speaking God's truth to me. Maybe I shouldn't retaliate. Maybe this man is speaking God's truth to me. And in church, that's what we endeavor to do, is to speak God's truth and to hear what God has got to say. It also tells us that he's a Benjamite. Who else was a Benjamite in the Old Testament? King Saul. He's of royal line. That's relevant because King Saul was God's chosen man. Shimei is also that which means Mordecai is part of that line. And he's looking out for Esther. Why? Mordecai, it tells us, is he's adopted her. He's taken her in. We saw a film. Anyone seen the film Instant Family? Yeah. It's quite quite hard work. It's a roller coaster of emotions with some laughing but some tears. And it does tell a very real story of what it's like to foster and to adopt. I'm going to upset Kaz now because I'm going to say that actually the only thing that was a little bit unreal is the fact that the two social workers are there at every single stage of the process in in every situation. You don't get a mixture. And actually, it's quite an amazing film. It's quite an amazing story. But Mordecai chose Esther. He chose her. That's special, isn't it? When we see people fostering and adopting, they choose someone to be part of their family. It's not an easy choice, but it's a choice that's made. And I want to just remind you of something that it says in God's word. We want to speak God's truth, don't we? 
Yeah? In the New Testament, it tells us what true religion is. Anyone know what true religion is? Eric? Yeah. It's taking care of the widows and the orphans. Yeah, the American version, it's fine, we're okay. <laughs> taking care of the true religion, it says in the New Testament, is looking after the widows and the orphans. So if we want to start pointing fingers in, in our churches or in our religious cultures, how many of us are doing that? Because actually, there is a Christian work called Home for Good where it talks about going on that route of looking after the widows and the orphans, particularly the orphans. True religion is looking after the widows and the orphans. How many of us want to be that true, that true faith, if you like? Choosing to love and take care of someone in your family is not easy. It's not easy. But the Bible also tells us that we can be adopted into God's family. Why? Because he chooses you. He chooses you. Despite your faults and your failings, despite your past, despite the struggles you have, he chooses you. You are adopted. That's why we echo God when we look after the widows and the orphans because we choose to love those that aren't already in our family. We choose to love those who are. We've prayed for Izzy this morning. He's not part of my family, but he's part of my church family. We choose to look after. We choose to care. And finally, in this passage, we start to see Esther. We've seen Xerxes, we've seen Mordecai, Esther. The name Esther means something hidden. You know, we mentioned last week that in the story of Esther, in the book of Esther, God isn't mentioned at all. There's no mention of God, yet God is all over this story. And when you live your life, you might think there's no mention of God in your life. You might think that God isn't active, but God is all over your story. The number seven in chapter two is there all the time. The number seven was prominent in Jewish culture because it's the perfect number. It's the number of God. We see seven eunuchs looking after Esther, don't we? We see seven, seven all the time because it shows that God is there. I'm going to carry on reading. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted as his daughter, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, had recommended. Esther, just as she was, won the admiration of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal palace in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of the king's reign. And the king fell in love with Esther far more than any of the other women or any of the other virgins. He was totally smitten by her. He placed a royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet for all his nobles and officials, Esther's banquet. He proclaimed a holiday for all provinces and handed out gifts with royal generosity. Do you know, there's echoes in this story of the story of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph? Yeah? Not much mention of God in that story either, but actually God is all over it. And Joseph finds favour no matter where he is. Whether he's in Pharaoh's court, whether he's in Potiphar's court, whether he's in the prison, he finds favour. Daniel's another one. He finds favour in a foreign land because God is present. However, there's lots of judgment from the Christian community on Esther and Mordecai. Lots of judgment. Because people say, well, they shouldn't have been there in the first place. 
Some of the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild and they shouldn't have stayed behind as it was. They were disobeying God when they stayed. Also, they sometimes say, well, Esther shouldn't have got involved in this beauty pageant. As a Jew, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have gone for a night with the king. She shouldn't have slept with the king. All of these things, she shouldn't have covered up her religious background. Can you understand those comments? Yeah? And I want to talk this morning mainly about judgment, really. Because actually, when I look at Esther chapter 2, people judged them for what they did. And we've sung this morning, the very first song we sang started by saying, I was buried beneath my shame. People have walked into our church and been welcomed, but also some people have come to our church sometimes. And all of us this morning, if I asked you honestly, if you were ashamed of things in your past, many of us would have to put our hands up. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But we carry a shame that Jesus nailed to a cross. We carry a shame that God has wiped away. And I want to use an illustration that is a little bit humorous, but for a very serious point. Okay? You need to bear with me with this, okay? Um, We also are very quick to judge when we've not been in that situation ourselves, I want to point out. I want to say this, Esther didn't have a choice. The king came and took her. She She couldn't say, no, sorry, I'm not getting involved. She had to go. She didn't have a choice when the king called. She didn't have a choice in these situations, and God still used Think of a massive issue that the church often rails against. Don't shout it out. Think in your own mind of the issues. You know, the ones where you see people with placards and snarling faces, when actually the Bible says a mean look is just as bad as some of those other things. Think of the times, the big issues that affect Christians, and the reason why some people won't get involved in the church at all. And I'm going to make a little bit of an illustration, okay? Imagine in God's word, throughout God's word, it regularly said, do not support Manchester United. Okay? I'm sorry to choose this one, but it's close to my heart, okay? Imagine in God's word, throughout God's word, it has regularly said, do not support Manchester United. Well, for one reason, there's a devil on the badge. Simple. No Christians should support Manchester United. Okay? But let's imagine... This morning, that a Manchester United fan has come into our church, and they're ashamed. They're, they're full of that shame. They're carrying this burden. They're carrying this weight. They don't want to admit it to anyone because they thought they'd dealt with it, but it keeps coming back. And a lot of them have realised they could step away from it because there's no success anymore. And they've stepped away from that. And imagine, just imagine, that I stand up in church with a well-meaning heart, and I say, guys... Manchester United fans are evil. There are some people, when I'm saying this, there's some people starting to stir a little bit inside. Andy, is this upsetting you a little bit? Yeah, okay. Because actually, that's what Andy chooses to follow. But actually, I might be loving and kind, but actually what I'm doing is I'm heaping more shame on Andy. Yeah? Would you agree? Or then I go on social media and I start writing... Yes, Man United fans are all doomed to the pit of whatever, okay? He reads that and he sees all these other people from our church commenting, going, oh, yes, I agree, amen, brother, preach it. Yeah? 
How would he feel? He's buried beneath his shame. Yeah? Because actually, we're saying, it says throughout God's word, do not be a man. It doesn't, can I just say, it doesn't. Although I'm sure it would have been if Jesus was around now. But <laughs> if it said all the way through, do not support Manchester United, do not go this way. And actually, Andy, Andy, let's say Andy doesn't come to our church anyway because he's from away. But let's say he never came back again because of those comments. We've lost. We've lost what we're here to do. We are here to love. Now, you know I'm not talking about Manchester United. You know I'm not talking about Manchester United. I'm talking about that issue that you thought of when I said, think of an issue that affects the church. Because actually, will there be Manchester United fans in heaven? Sadly, yes. <laughs> and I will love them with perfection. I love Andy to bits. I love anyone. Alan Docker's in the Man United fan as well, so we love Alan as well, so it's fine. But will there be Man United fans in heaven? Yes, because if they've chosen to follow Jesus, they've been forgiven. Even if sometimes they slip back into their old ways. Are you with me? And actually, so often as Christians, we can judge some big issues in the world. And actually, I see Christian posts that aren't loving. I see Christians that talk rejection without necessarily meaning to. I see a comment made that can cause somebody to go, I'm not going to have anything to do with church if that's the way it is. I'm talking in a funny way, but about a serious issue. Our hearts are not to judge. You know, I read a quote this week, and it's a long quote. It says this, It is often easy to look at other people's decisions and judge them, thinking that we know clearly what is right and what is wrong, and that if we were in their shoes, we would have known what was the right thing to do. It is easy to talk about ethical or moral issues in the abstract, because in any theoretical situation... We can define it that the choices are clear. But life is not that neat and tidy, is it? I believe Esther chapter 2 shows us a woman who goes and sleeps with a pagan king. And she's a woman of God. Will Esther be, you know, will Esther be in glory? Yes. Does God love her? Yes. Does God love that choice? Maybe she didn't have a choice. Maybe she could have stood up, but then she would have died. And the great history of rescue that happens next would not happen. Why did she lie about her inheritance? Because in those days, the Jewish nation were being persecuted. It was dangerous. So who are we to judge? We are not living in that place and in that time. Who's heard the phrase, hate the sin, but love the sinner? Yeah? I don't think that phrase is very helpful. Because actually, as soon as you start hating the sin, the person who's the sinner feels that you hate them. Feels that you hate them. Because it's very difficult to separate. Yes, God hates sin, but who in this room can put our hand up and say we're without it? None of us. Not one of us. And so actually, God says, I don't like some of the things you do, Johnny, but I love you. I love you. And even though I've come before God and I've confessed my sins and I know that Jesus paid the price for me and I know that my past will not define me and I know that my sin is gone. The Bible says he chooses not to remember it, that it's as far from the east as from the west, our sin. You know, I was going to tell the story about a young girl who did come into this church probably 10 or 15 years ago and somebody simply advertised their charity, which as a Christian, yeah, very positive. And that young girl had started to bring her family, but we never saw her again. 
We never saw her again because the charity was involved with something that she'd had done in the past. And she felt crushed by shame, crushed by her choice that wasn't an easy choice, but at the time it was a choice she felt she had to make. Now, if you're walking into our church this morning, I want to say to you, there is nothing to be ashamed of. I can say that because God says it. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that is saying no to Jesus. It's the only unforgivable sin. So actually, we need as Christians to love the sinner. God's job to deal with the sin. And he's already dealt with it if that person comes before him. It's our job to love. You know, Esther and Mordecai are different to Joseph and Daniel in that they find favor, but they actually compromise God's law. Why? Because God has a plan that is greater than they understand. Why? Because they're living in a time where the choices they make aren't necessarily even their choices to make. Yes, there are some laws being passed across our world that are horrendous. But at the same time, that's not people's fault. That's the people in charge. And we need to pray for our rulers and our leaders that they make wise choices. And we need to love the people who go through this process. You know, Esther has no choice of sleeping with the king. She marries someone from a pagan nation. She has no choice. Esther keeps her religion secret because Mordecai, Mordecai told her to because she has no choice. And yet there are people in communities of church that go, oh, Esther Mordecai, I'm not sure about them. Not sure about them. God is still with her and uses her for good. So this morning, if you've come in here and you feel shame about your past, your present, what's going on, then God says, you don't need to before me. You need to just give it to me because I can nail your shame to the cross and leave it there. I can nail your past to the cross and it's gone. And I can help you walk into the future without it. And yet so often we point fingers and when we find ourselves in those situations, we then don't know what to do. We're all worried about how people look at us, aren't we? You know, I've purposefully worn my torn jeans today in case some of you think, oh, Johnny's wearing ripped jeans, that's terrible. You know, that's, that's not terrible. God loves me. I'm not ashamed. God loves me. God loves me. And God's plan is taking shape all around Esther. What do we see in this story? Esther gets special treatment. Why? Because God is with her. She gets special treatment from the king. You know, how long did it take you to get ready this morning? About three minutes. I was going to be mean, but I've been talking about judgment, so I'm not going to say you can sleep. But anyway, you know, how many of us, you know, sometimes it feels like 12 months waiting for some people to get out of the bathroom. Yeah? It took these ladies 12 months of beauty treatment to be even stand before the king. One of the reasons is because it was to get rid of any tan. Because being out in the sun was a sign of slavery. So 12 months without the sunshine meant they were all as pale as each other. Pale was a beautiful thing, ladies. Okay? Beautiful thing. It was a sign of the queen. You know, sometimes, who's exfoliated this morning? Eh? Thanks, Raymond. I can tell. <laughs> who's moisturized? Moisturized? Yeah, oh, look, look at these moisturized. Raymond again. Look at him. Top of the clock. Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> Conditioned, that conditioned their hair this morning, you know? Shirley and Deb, oh, Jackie's doing well there as well. Rebecca, Liz, lovely, it looks lustrous. That's the word, isn't it? Do you remember wash and go? Yeah, that was easy, wasn't it? I washed and it went. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. This 
these girls were being used. As we come to the end of chapter 2, these girls were being used by the king because he would sleep with them for the night and send them to this other harem and if he never called for them again, they were stuck there. They couldn't marry anyone else. They couldn't go on to have children. The king was evil. Horrendous man. And he was using these women for his own gratification. He was using them for his own glory. They were being used to cheer him up. And you know, Esther, it tells us in this passage that Esther went just as she was. She listened to the eunuch and she didn't go with any bling. She didn't go with the jewelry. She went just as she was. And she was accepted by the king. She went just as she was. And she was accepted by the king. So the message in chapter 2, as well as we should be very slow to judge and very quick to care. We should be very slow to point fingers. Even in massive issues that rage across our world, we should be very slow to jump in. The message in Esther is just be yourself. Come as you are. Because there's no shame in being you. There is no shame in being you. God loves you. God wants you as you are and wants to transform you. Not only that, he wants to put a crown on your head because he wants to choose you into his royal family. He wants to say you're a princess, you're a prince, you're a king, you're a queen. He wants to make you known as his son and his daughter. I love that phrase, if you've ever seen the shack, God in the shack continually says, oh, I'm especially fond of that one. I'm especially fond. Yo, God is especially fond of you. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, he is especially fond of you. As we come to the end of the chapter that we didn't read, Mordecai is still watching over Esther. He's a good carer. He's watching her to make sure she's okay, to make sure she's safe. And he finds out that there's unloyalty to the king and he uncovers a plot to kill King Xerxes. And he gets message to the queen who says, tell the king, and the plot is foiled. This evil, wretched king is saved. Why? Because one man stands up. One man does good. So as I finish this morning, we need to ask ourselves, me included, do we sometimes get judgmental? Do we sometimes point the finger? Even in things where we can point to scripture and say, well, it clearly says, do we sometimes get a bit excited about that? When God says we need to love, we need to care. Are we worried this morning about being accepted? Let me ask you, how's your obedience to God? Because it was through obedience to God that Esther was accepted. Obedience to the king, even the evil one. It was a, she was obedient in that situation. Final question. Do we care for other people? Do we care about people? Do we care about people in God's church? Because you know, there will be murderers in heaven. The ones that have come to Jesus and said, I'm really sorry for my past. There will be people with addiction in heaven because God has set them free and because God has come into their life. There will be people in heaven who you would not expect to be there because God is sovereign. Esther chapter 2 tells us that regardless of our right and our wrong, God is still able to work through our choices to bring his perfect and pleasing will. You know, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. No condemnation. If you're in Jesus, nobody can judge you other than God. And he says, come to me. Come as you are.
None of us should throw the first stone. None of us can throw the first stone, yet we hurl them about without thought of the targets we hit unknowingly. Come as you are. So this morning, let God sit on his throne. Let him be the judge that is fair and right. Let him be the one that brings the sin to the ground. And our challenge is to be obedient and loving. And I want to finish by saying, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love does not condemn. It doesn't criticize. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. And that's a good job in all our cases. Because God loves us. He loves us because he loves us. And he says, I'm slow to anger. And I'm quick to love. This morning, will you come as you are to him? I'm going to invite the worship group up. And if you want to invite God into your life for the first time and say, God, I want you to nail my sin to the cross. I want you to nail my shame to the cross. And I'm going to walk forward knowing that Jesus, you are the king of my life. I want to invite you this morning to come and ask someone from the prayer team to pray that for you and pray that with you. Or maybe this morning you're somebody who recognizes you've made judgment calls that might not always have been right. Yes, they might have been true, but they might not have been loving. And I believe that God wants us to just nail that to the cross too. To say, actually, let's let God deal with the sin and we'll just love the sinners. Because all of us in this room are sinners. Every single one of us. And God loves you. So come as you are as we take communion. So I'm just going to have the, the prayer team will be stood there. We can carry on with communion around that. But if you want to come and be prayed with and prayed for, then please just take this chance to come. You don't need 12 months to get ready. You don't need a beauty regime like mine and Andy's. You just need to come as you are. And he will do the rest. <laughs>